Welcome to another episode of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, a.k.a. MMA Lock of the Night. Andrew Boy on Twitter at MMALOTN. We are fucking back in Big Rob's studio. Obviously, Big Rob's yeah. here as well. It's so nice to fucking be back. It's It's been at least a month and a half. Dude, like, it, it, it feels like We've had snowstorms. Yep. I'm fucking planning a wedding, so I had shit to do. <laughs> Two back-to-back snowstorms. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> fuck it. It's just been ridiculous up here in Toronto. Like, now it's it's like five or six degrees Celsius, yeah. and everything's melting outside. It's kind of nice. The fuck? I'm, I'm cool with it. I'm not complaining. <laughs> but knowing our luck, we're probably going to have a crazy-ass fucking storm coming at us. God knows, man. <laughs> it's, it's nuts. Uh, we're going to be going over UFC 245, this, uh, th- which just goes down this weekend. Three times title fights huge fucking event i can't fucking wait obviously i'm going to be going over to tony's we're going to be cooking up some fry supreme some craziness some wings or some shit i can't wait we always do something big for the big events but colby Covington against uh kamaru usman uh max holloway versus alexander volkanovsky and amanda nunez defending your title against jermaine durandamy insane fights and we got peter yan and jose aldo and fucking uriah faber and it's just insane it's a crazy card i'm super excited for it but i wanted to come back and get my man back on for the casuals, which is why I have Big Rob, and not just why. I just want to fucking be here. It's been so fucking long. I'm just happy to have him here. Um, So what I'm going to be showing him is uh, from this past weekend, we had a pretty decent main event between Alistair Overeem versus Jerzynia Rosenstrike. Um, Try to say that fucking name. Dude, there's no way. (laughs) I'd take some time for me. I'm pretty sure it's Rosenstrike. Can you see how it's spelled here? R-O-Z-E-N-S-T-R-U-I-K. I... <laughs> when there's a Z and the name it gets difficult. <laughs> it's all good. He's from uh, Suriname. I don't okay. even know where the fuck that is. Okay. <laughs> uh but yeah, this fight uh was actually a fight that should have gone under one and a half rounds. Hence okay. uh we are in the fifth round. It oh. was a pretty crazy fight. I'd say Overeem was winning this fight up until this point. Okay. Uh and then with a couple seconds left, okay. we saw some craziness go down. So let's see. Okay. Uh, Overeem is the guy in the gray shorts. Okay. Green shorts is Rosenstrike. We got about 12 seconds left now, 11, 10. Uh, comfortably winning. All the judges thought he won the first four rounds, so if he got past that... Wow. He would have... He would have won the fight. So, whoa, there's whoa, two whoa. things I want to show you here. Well, what happened there? Do you think he should have got stopped? Like, do you think he should have stopped? I thought he just... I thought he just lost his footing. So I want you to pay attention yeah, to his lip. Okay, I'm going to watch this again because now his, yeah, his lip's pretty messed up, man. Oh, I will show you pictures. But that is the worst lip I have ever seen in my life. The worst lip split ever. Oof. Oh, on that angle, it's awful. Oh, I'll show you some pictures. Don't worry about that. But two things. I want to show you the lip, obviously, but the punch was very, very nice. Okay. So oh, he sets okay. it up with a lead uppercut, right hand over the top. Oh, yeah drops him so he starts celebrating right away before the referee even stops it the referee still hasn't stopped it he's there but he hasn't stopped it oh but once he see him start to tumble to the side he starts he starts to stop it oh so that's what happened he started so when he, he when the referee up. goes like this that means he's stopping it but okay. he didn't stop it up until the point the guy will start to stumble along so, the so he could have kept hitting him he could have kept hitting him but he's like oh he's out so he just turned around and started celebrating. They called that a walk-off KO, like a walk-off home run in baseball when you hit it, the yeah. game's over. Like, same thing here. See, he, technically he hasn't stopped the fight. But he stopped him, like he grabbed his arm. Uh, like the ref grabs his arm, watch, watch, watch. He grabs his arm now. Like He hey. grabs his arm, but it's not like to stop it. It's more so to see what's going on with Overeem. Like he's not, like, again, he has to go like this. That's when he does it. Yeah. 
So if he kept on following up and hitting him, and he probably could have gone another six seconds. I think it it was uh, there's four or six seconds left, and if he had gotten to the bell, uh, he would have won the fight. The guy who got knocked out, Whew. and just like that, he misses out on a couple hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, that's. Uh, I don't know. So it in your opinion, do you I, think it was a was it an early stoppage? In your opinion, a casual's perspective. No. Like, I thought think he was just getting back up. Okay. But 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 now that I see the how he was wobbly and then I see his lip and I also see how the other guy like actually hit him pretty square right on, like in slow mo. I Like you're comfortable if, with if him he, not if, having any more damage to I, I'll put it this way. The other guy, he could have hit him one more time after and he would have been like messed up so he, sure. he totally lost the fight no matter what it's for just sure. it's just a technical thing where it's like the other guy was like i'm not going to beat the shit out of you kind of a thing uh and then he walked away but uh, technically he should have hit him and, and knocked you keep him out going until the referee tells you right stop. he was just kind of like you know what, man you're done it's cool don't worry and he just walked away kind of with oh my god it's the joker right dude the guy looks like the oh, the Joker has a a more charming <laughs> smile than this guy Look now. At that shit, dude. Oh my god! Where is it? Yeah. How, no, that's not real. What do you mean? It's you just is saw that, it happen. No, but look, come on! <laughs> it's all the way up to the tip of his nose. Yeah, dude. Holy shit! Like you could after there's a picture where he has his mouth guard off and you can see his teeth and his gums. Oh my god. And when you when you said split, I thought you meant like his lip popped or something. Like, oh, no. This is like like a tear, a tear up his like his mouth. Yeah, probably one of the crazier oh. ones I've ever seen. Oh my god! The only other one that comes to mind, but it probably wasn't as bad, was uh, Robbie Lawler back at UFC 189. I want to say. Whoa! But yeah, his was kind of Whoa, the same. Whoa! What too. is that? Uh, I just want to find. Good. I guess this that, is the best. That picture. looks awful. He looks right. Oh my gosh. Those are the two worst lips I've ever seen. And notice it's like to the side of the lip too. It's never the, the middle. It's always like right by the side of it. It's, I guess it's the way they hit them. Yeah, for sure. They're just the collision of it. I don't recall what he got hit with to cause that, but obviously we saw in this one that I just showed you, it was that one punch that just... And the funny thing is oh, when I was watching it live, I'm certain, I am absolutely certain when I watched it live, I saw the lip kind of just like move yeah. when he was you, getting you, dropped. You think, you think you saw it kind of yeah. open up? And yeah. then when you actually see him, I'm like, oh. oh, oh. oh <laughs> that God. was insane, eh? <laughs> uh, you know, I, you showed me some gruesome stuff, but this by far, it Takes looks, the cake? Yeah. It yeah. takes the cake, this eh? This is pretty, yeah, this is rude. That's, that's sick. awesome. Thank I'm you. I'm so glad that I fucking top anything of this. I like that, before. man. That's like next level. That's next level. As soon as I saw that happen, I'm like, I can't wait to show this to fucking Rob. Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck yeah. That's so that's probably the worst thing you've ever seen. Do you yeah. recall anything from the top of your head that like sticks out to you? Uh, oh, I'm the, le to think of... the leg stuff. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. The, oh, yeah. The, that the was disgusting. Leg and uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just all hanging by the skin. Uh, right? yeah. It's just the. Yeah, it, you know, it, it is a brutal sport at the end of the day, uh, but. It's still a fun fucking sport to watch. Oh, yeah, like it's, it, there's nothing more enticing. Like even that, like the fight was, was whatever neat. up until the end, and then the guy just gets a hail mary fucking punch knockout, and he wins. I was, insane. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. I think I think that should that should be it. I'm, I'll go let you throw up upstairs or something and <laughs> fucking <laughs> oh, shit. get your shit back together. <laughs> Right, cool thanks, thanks for joining me as always i'm gonna see you in probably 45 ish minutes and we're gonna yeah. get high as fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right uh yes 
I am finally back in the seat. It just feels nice to be right here. Like, this seat means so much to me. Even this angle, all the lights, all the prettiness. It's just the fucking best. And Big Rob always does it up for me. So, uh, I'm, it's unfortunate that I haven't been able to be here in the last little while. But we're, we're trying to make it work in our schedules. And it does obviously help that I have the studio back in my place now, too. So, I'm not, like, pushed uh, to to really push the, the podcast back too far. Uh, I'm trying to stick to a strict schedule. You know, we got the Design Splits that comes out Sunday. Combatistores that comes out Monday. Uh Lockcast that comes out Tuesday, uh, and I'm thinking of moving locked into at least Wednesday because it is a lot to you know keep meeting these deadlines and shit. So uh, until further notice, locked in will probably be a Wednesday or Thursday release, probably Wednesday. But uh, I'm back in the studio. I'm just happy about that. So let's go over our uh, my last event. It's been a tough fucking stretch, you know. Um, yeah, it. <sighs> It gets a little depressing when I talk about it just because it's it's something that I feel like I've put in so much work into uh, and it's just been going to shit for the last couple months now. So it's very disheartening to see the run that I've been on uh, considering that I feel like I just have so much more to give in this. Um, and, and I think the most irritating part about it is the fact that especially the last two events, um, you know, I'm talking about the Sao Paulo and the DC card, I've going into fight week and maybe even midway through fight week, I was just so fucking dead set and certain that I'm going to be picking James Krause and Aspen Ladd. And those are going to be my lock of the night plays. And I go in there and fucking change up my strategy for some fucking reason. And uh, we get the under two and a half on the Antonio Hoyo fight. Uh, and then the under one and a half on this Jerzyny Rosenstrike and Alistair Orvin fight. You know, I, w- I don't know what the fuck. I, either it's overanalyzing, overthinking it. I don't know what the fuck it is. And speaking of overthinking, I've already placed my, my UFC 245 bet before I can even get into my own head and, and stray away from that. Uh, I'll get into that a little bit later in this podcast. But, you know, I, I got to stay on top of this shit. And it's 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 so fucking disheartening when I just keep hitting these hours. And I, I know I'm much better than this shit. And... <clears throat> A lot of people can say what they want, especially with the tough stretch that I've been on. I, I'm in absolutely no position to try to even defend myself in terms of, uh, you know, saying that I'm uh, I, I'm I'm really good at this shit, especially because of the run that I've been on and the results. It's a it's a results driven industry that I'm working in, and when you're not producing results, you got nothing to say that can really uh, defend yourself. So. Uh, let's quickly go over UFC DC. I'm not trying to throw a pity party or anything like that. It's just I'm trying to vent, get it all out so that we can fucking move forward and and get 245 under the under under our belt. So let's go with our my only win uh, this past weekend, which was my Hail Mary parlay. I had a 0.25 unit play at uh, <clears throat> plus 797. Uh, two of those fights ended up going to a draw, so that was a push. That's the uh, Cynthia Calvillo play that I had and Yudong Song Song Yudong. Uh, bet that I had um, and then also I had uh, Aspen Ladd and Ben Rotho who both hit both were my you know considered a high level lock of the night play candidates I ended up passing on both of them and it fucking came back to bite me in the ass but it is what it is uh, then my lock of the night play had four units on I was, or sorry the under one and a half here um, at minus 129 you know L there 
Uh, Alistair Overeem got the fight to the ground just as I thought he would, especially in that first round. And I was expecting him to fish a little bit more for for submissions or even get a little bit more crazier with the the ground and pattern, especially with the lack of uh, takedown and defense and and grappling defense that we've we've seen from Jarzinho in the past, especially against Junior Albini. You know, I was, I was impressed with the fact that uh, Overeem was going to be able to get down, get guys down, just as uh, like uh, Sergey Pavlovich, like he did in his second last fight. You know, unloaded bombs from there. I thought he'd be able to do some. Something similar with Jairzinho here, or Jairzinho was going to be able to catch him in that first round and a half. Uh, regardless, none of those um, circumstances played out the way that I thought they would. Uh, so we take a f- minus four UL there, and then lastly, I had a lock of the night play, or sorry, a dog of the night play on Cynthia Calvillo plus 120, 1.75 units. That ends up being a push. Big, big third round from her. Was kind of expecting her to get a finish there, especially with um, getting Marina Rodriguez's back doesn't transpire you know she has a big uh third round to get that 10-8 so we end up with the push there overall minus 3.57 units on ufc dc which brings us straight over to ufc 245 i'm done with dc we're fucking we got two more events left in this year let's just end this shit off with a bang hopefully um decent card from top to bottom not decent very good card from top to bottom you know i tried lining it up with ufc 244 in terms of fight for fight which fights i you know is there every single fight on this card that i actually give a fuck about i gave uh you know there was one fight on 244 i didn't really give a shit about which was caitlin chukagan against uh jennifer maya uh the only reason i gave slight fucks for that is that determined our number one contender which now ends up being Ch- caitlin chukagan and then on this card there were two fights that i don't really give a fuck about which is puna Hale, uh soriano and oscar piachota and then obviously daniel tamor versus chase super every other single fight i am balls deep and i am so in on these fights i can't wait i'll be watching all of them intently uh probably taking small breaks between the uh, Tamor and Soriano fights but we'll see what happens uh, but yeah from top to bottom Viviane Arujo finally get a great test in Jessica I. she looks like a great prospect Brandon Moreno versus Kai Carfriend should be a great and fun fight Matt Brown versus Ben Saunders Brown coming back from retirement great great fun fight potential fight of the night right there Ian Heinish against Omar Yakmetov should be a great fight uh, the return of Caitlin Vieira who's the pr- kind of the lost or the forgotten girl at bantamweight uh, going up against a red hot Irene Aldana, Mike Perry versus Jeff Neal, which is sure fire in terms of fireworks. Peter Yan against Yara Faber, great fight there. Jose Aldo going down to 135 against Marlon Moraes. I got a very special guest coming on to help me, uh, you know, break down that fight. I can't wait for you guys to see that. Uh, and then we jump right into our three title fights. Amanda Nunes, champ champ. Amanda Nunes fighting Jermaine Durandamy. Uh, Max Holloway fighting uh, Alexander Volkanovsky. And then Kamar Usman against Colby Covington. In my opinion, skill for skill is probably the most intriguing fight at welterweight that we've ever had, at least for a title, you know not trying to throw any shots at GSP, but he never really fought a guy to the level of him, which I believe that Kamaru Usman and Kobe Covington kind of are. Uh, they both kind of have the same-ish style, uh, but I'll break that a little bit down a little bit more when I get into that fight. So um, just as I always have for the past couple events now, I'm going to be doing quick picks uh, for the prelims with the exception of one fight, uh, and then I'll get into the main card. So I got uh, Punehale Soriano over Oscar Piachota. I got Viviani Rujo over Jessica uh, I. I got Kai Car France over Brandon Moreno. I got, as much as it hurts to say, Daniel Tamer against uh, over Chase Hooper. Uh, Ian Heinish over Omar Yakmedov. Ketlin Vieira over Irene Aldana. Uh, Jeff Neal over Mike Perry. And then that brings us to the prelim fight that I kind of want to dig into a little bit more, which is Matt Brown versus Ben Saunders. Very excited for this fight. Uh, Matt Brown, you know, he 
pretty much retired after after that beautiful Diego uh, Sanchez fight where he just elbowed him into oblivion. Probably one of the craziest knockouts you guys will ever see. Uh, very fun there. He was actually supposed to fight Carlos Condit back in April of 2018. That never came to fruition. That would have been a barn burner itself. But for some reason, Matt Brown finds himself back in the octagon and they give him a pretty favorable matchup in Ben Saunders. In terms of odds, we're looking at a minus 345 for uh, Matt Brown, plus 285 for Ben Saunders. In terms of inside the distance, minus 185 for uh, Matt Brown, uh, and then plus plus 400 for Saunders to win inside the distance. Uh, I, I love Matt Brown here. You know, Ben Saunders still has a very suspect chin. Uh, even in, I believe it was his last fight where he got... Uh, yeah, he got absolutely knocked out by Takashi Sato. Even before that, got murdered by Lyman Good, and then before that, got completely jujitsued by Sergio Moraes in a beautiful performance by Sergio Moraes himself. Uh, but yeah, you, you got to be wary of Ben Saunders' chin here. It's kind of like Matt Brown going in to fight Diego Sanchez. You know that he has issues. Uh, you know his opponent has issues with chin. Uh, and Matt Brown always has a knack for finding the chin when he goes up against guys that have suspect chins. So um, Matt Brown, I think he's going to go in there. He might have to deal a little bit with the actual um, the length of Ben Saunders here. However, I don't think that's going to be too much of an issue for him. Uh, you know, Ben Saunders, he d has good kicks. So I'll give that to him, and he uses his length pretty well d sometimes. Uh, but I think he's going to have a lot of trouble keeping that distance with Matt Brown here. I think for him to be successful, he should land on the body as much as he can. Whether they're team kicks, regular leg kicks, whatever it is, attack the body of Matt Brown. We've seen... That's kind of the Achilles heel of Matt Brown in the past. And I think that Ben Saunders has the good enough range and good enough dexterity in his legs that he continuously can kick and make it a, a very difficult fight for Matt Brown to, to close the distance and actually have success. However, I think regardless, Matt Brown is going to find his way to get his elbow to Ben Saunders' chin uh, and put him out that way. Uh, I, I just don't see why Ben Saunders would take this fight. This is a very, very tough fight. The only thing that he can say that's really in his favor here is that he's been more active than uh, Matt Brown, at least since uh, 2017. You know, the last time Matt Brown has fought was November of 2017. And since then, uh, Ben Saunders has put together five fights. However, he's only gone one and four in them. His only victory has been against Jake Ellenberger, who pretty much has lost to everybody. Uh, you know what? I just want to take a quick look at Jake Ellenberger's last little stretch. Uh, it's not good. So besides the grappling contest that he beat Diego Sanchez in back in May, he has ended his UFC career 0-4. Surprise, surprise, he beat Matt Brown in 2016, but that's a Jake Allenberger that we just definitely don't know anymore. Uh, but I'm going to be going with Matt Brown, probably by second round uh, TKO. I'm going to say it takes at least a round for him to get his feet back under him, and within that amount of time, he should be able to put Ben Saunders out. Uh, would I play him at minus 345? Probably not. I don't know if I'll even put him on my Hail Mary parlay, uh, but I just don't think that, you know, a guy coming off such a long layoff, uh, and even though he has such a huge advantage in terms of punching power, uh, I would still be wary in terms of betting somebody that's had that much amount of time off, just like I have that much of an issue possibly betting Caitlin Vera. You know, um, I know I'm not supposed to get into it too much, but, you know, minus 165 for Caitlin Vera, if she's around closer to the minus 120, minus 130-ish range, I'd be a little bit more... Uh, happy to pull the trigger there, but extended layoffs, I'm not about that. All right, that that 
brings us to our main card, which is uh, going to be kicked off by a great fight between Peter Yan and Uriah Faber. Uriah Faber, coming. speaking of time off, uh, he did come back uh, in July uh, after, how long was it? Roughly three years off, just about two and a half years off since he beat Brad Pickett, announced his retirement, and now here he back is against... Well, in July, he fought Ricky Simone, knocked him out in 45 seconds, and now establishes himself as one of the top 135ers. And if he beats Peter Yan here, you know, he has a name value and the, the eye of Henry Cejudo to, uh, you know, possibly challenge for a title, which is kind of crazy. But Peter Yan is not a pushover, and I completely understand why. And I wouldn't be completely upset at the fact that Uriah Faber getting a title shot after beating Peter Yan. But... <clears throat> I don't think that's going to happen. Minus 470 for Peter Yan right now. Plus 375 for Uriah Faber. I I'm all on the Peter Yan train. If you guys have been following my Twitter, you guys will already see that I've placed my lock of the night play, which is a, a parlay between Peter Yan and Amanda Nunes. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, I I'm trying to go the route of not overthinking things here. Uh, obviously, I did tape on both, both fights. Uh, and uh, speaking specifically about Peter Yan, I just don't see how Uriah Faber wins here. If he wants to go for takedowns, he's going to have a tough time taking Peter Yan down. And even if he goes for takedowns, he's going to have to try to close the distance and eat some of those vicious strikes from Peter Yan. You know, Yan is very, very tough to get a hold of. He's very tough to corral. Um, he's always going to have the advantage when it comes to the striking. The way he picked apart and made Jimmy Rivera just, you know, stand still for 15 minutes is insane. John Dodson, same thing. He just has this relentless pressure, especially what he did to Douglas Silva DeAndrage. You know, first round he did decent work, and then in the second round he really put it on him. And then the corner was kind of just forced to throw in the towel there because they just know that his man was outmatched here. Um, he has been an absolute wrecking ball since he came into the UFC. Uh, finished to to Ishihara, went to a crazy decision against Jinsu Sun, who just would not fucking go out crazy uh then obviously put that beating on douglas silva deandraj and then shut down both john dodson and jimmy rivera just masterful performances he's far and ahead uh you know way far ahead of uriah faber when it comes to where they're at in their careers uh i think he has title aspirations in his near future uh you know he's only 26 which is crazy and then uriah faber coming back at 40 years old i don't know you know what really pushed uriah faber to take this fight Maybe he thought of it as a, if I get this victory, I'll get the title shot. Sure, sure, but there's much easier fights than fucking Peter Yan in the top five, you know. Peter Yan is next level shit right now. And, um, you know, great striking, uh, great kicks, uh, great takedown defense, training mainly at Tiger Muay Thai, uh, former ACA champion. He's already avenged the only loss of his career against Magomed Magomedov, yes, the guy's name is Magomed Magomedov. Uh, and, you know, now he's finally doing his thing in the UFC. And I'm more than happy to have him here. Uh, and excited that, you know, he's going to bring a lot of fireworks to that top of the division. Uh, him against Henry Cejudo would be a phenomenal fight. And I cannot wait. I think that's a fight that's in our future. Uh, and I think that he would have a lot of success in that fight too. I think Uriah Faber is just biting off a little bit more than he can chew at this moment. You know, Faber, he has that that blitzing, wrestling hook, kind of what he landed on Rick, with Ricky Simone. Uh, unfortunate loss for Simone there, uh, but this is not going to be another Hail Mary moment for Uriah Faber. I think that Yan is going to be more than ready. He's going to be able to pick apart Uriah Faber's legs, uh, land pretty much at will on the feet, uh, and then keep this fight on the feet as well so that Faber is not able to implement any type of grappling. 
I got Peter Yan, man. I just don't see where Uriah Faber wins here. Yan's going to have the speed advantage, the viciousness advantage, uh, the overall combinations. He's just a leaps and bounds above Uriah Faber. And it hurts to say that about Faber. I'm a big fan of Faber. The guy's a pioneer. He's a he's a class act. And, uh, you know, he's achieved a lot, of in, a lot in his career. It's just unfortunate he's never going to be able to touch UFC gold, especially uh, if Peter Yan is standing in his way. So I got Peter Yan here by... Uh, you know what? I'll give this to Uriah Faber as well. He's very resilient and he's tough to put away. So I'm going to take Peter Yan by uh, decision here. But it wouldn't surprise me if he did end up being a little bit too much for Uriah Faber at the end of the fight here. And again, Uriah Faber is 40 years old. Let's just leave that at that. So I got Peter Yan by, officially by decision, but wouldn't be surprised if we see him pull off uh, a finish here as well over Uriah Faber. All right, let's get into this next fight, which I actually have a guest for, and I'm super excited to get into it with you guys. Uh, so here it is. We got my man Dan Levy from Best Fight Picks. You guys can follow him at Best Fight Picks on Twitter. And he's always hosting a podcast with his man Shaq every UFC fight week with Half the Battle. That's pretty much available everywhere. If you guys listen to my podcast, more than likely you guys are listening to his fucking podcast. And then lastly, you guys can check him out at be or, sorry, bestfightpicks.com to check out his picks. Dan, what the fuck is going on, man? Chillin', man. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's good to finally talk to you. Hell yeah, dude. Before we get into the fucking fight that we're supposed to get into, I just want to give you a big shout-out, man. Since day one, you have been one of my biggest supporters, and you've been an OG in the game since day one, pretty much. Like, since I got into this game, you were one of the top dogs right off the bat, uh, and to this day, you're the one that's fucking pushing me to, to keep uh, the lawcast going, and it's been seeing some success, and I'm glad to finally fucking have you on the show to break down a fight. Well, man, I appreciate the kind words, and look, it's all about keeping on going no matter the circumstances, and we all love this sport so much, all the passion we have for it, and I'm excited to break down a really good fight with you here. Fuck yeah. All right, let's just get into this shit. Jose Aldo versus Marlon Marais. Jose Aldo is coming off a loss over uh, Alexander Volkanovsky last time back in May. Uh, Volkanovsky obviously fighting for the title later in this card, and then we got Marlon Marais, who had his own title fight against Henry Cejudo earlier this year. Looked like a beast in those first two rounds, and then the the third round something with Henry Cejudo just clicked and he just put it on him the odds currently uh minus 200 for Marlon Marais plus 170 on Jose Aldo what the fuck do you think about this fight my man well obviously the big talking point is the fact that Jose Aldo the former UFC featherweight champion is dropping a bantamweight and it's almost unprecedented in a sense because we thought oh he's gonna go up to 55s remember he was talking about fighting Pettis yep. for a while and I was always under the assumption that Jose Aldo making 145 pounds, that it takes everything out of him. The guy's on the brink of his body fat. And now he's talking about going down to 135 pounds, which anyone that knows anything about weight cutting knows that the weight cut to bantamweight and flyweight is historically one of the toughest because you're literally on the brink of your body fat. And I already thought he was at that point at featherweight, but now you're talking bantamweight. So... Listen, I'm not going to be one of the guys that says uh, he's not going to quite make it to the scale or he's not going to make weight. You know, I'm going to show respect to a former multiple-time world champion. I, you know, I heard the guys eating two pounds of salad every single day. But MJ, uh, it, it's just a question of not is he going to make the weight, but how is he going to recover and perform the next day? That's the biggest thing I want to know, man. Dude, I I actually used to do backstage work for the UFC back at UFC 129, which was his first fight in the UFC when he fought Mark Hominick. And I remember seeing this guy backstage, 
and he looked fucked, dude. Andre Pettineros was pretty much carrying him around the whole time. Uh, we were doing this thing where we were trying to get fighters to sign something for charity, and he just didn't even want to look at me. The guy looked fucking horrible. And this we're, we're talking about two days before the weigh-ins. I have no idea where the hell he's going to cut this extra 10 pounds from. I don't know if he's going to come in with half a leg or whatever the fuck it is, but I, I'm absolutely stunned, and I don't know how anybody could... You know, the, the value is there in terms of plus 170 on Jose Aldo if you want to talk skill for skill, but... You know, the depletion of your body. How is he going to come looking into the fight? And we know this guy is notorious for slowing down in later rounds. Yeah, this is a three-round fight, but this is a three-round fight being 10 pounds less. You know what I mean? No, absolutely. No doubt about it. And I'm really glad you brought up the fact that, historically speaking, Jose Aldo does tend to slow down past the seven-minute mark. Mm -hmm. And interestingly enough, so does his opponent, Marlon Moraes. But the big difference here is that the pace that the fighters push at featherweight compared to bantamweight, it's night and day because, for example, if you go back and you watch that fight, even even Jose Aldo's last three fights, right? Mm-hmm. We're talking about the Jeremy Stevens fight, the Renato Moicano fight, and most recently the Alexander Volkanovsky fight. There's lots of moments in all those fights where he's able to take a break, he's able to chill, mm-hmm. and then when it's time to let go on some of his combinations, then he's able to do it. But then you look at his opponent, Marlon Moraes, and especially in his last fight against the champ champ, Henry Cejudo. Triple C, baby. Triple C. There's no breaks at Bantamweight. There's no breaks at these lower weight classes. You can't take time to breathe and relax. And I feel like the pace is going to be a huge factor here. And another really interesting thing about this matchup is that, statistically speaking, if you look at the numbers between these two guys, Jose Aldo actually has him edged in every area of the game. I'm talking striking and grappling. However, those numbers don't take into account the weight class change, which is so such a huge factor here, MJ. I mean, we're talking about, for example, like like I just told you, you go back and you watch that fight between Marlon Moraes and Henry Cejudo, and in that second and third round, that pace that Henry Cejudo is pushing on him, that's a flyweight pace. There's no breaks at all in that pace. And here with Jose Aldo, it's going to be night and day difference. And what I like about that for Marlon Moraes' sake is that he's going to be able to take his time, set his shots up, and I'm also kind of questioning how is uh, Jose Aldo going to react to those shots? How is he going to take a shin to the dome at 135 pounds? Because not that Jose Aldo is a chinny guy. Look, he has been KO'd three times to two unbelievable fighters in Max Holloway and Conor McGregor. And that's not you know a knock on his chin. Those guys are just unbelievable fighters. And if they hit you clean with those four-ounce gloves, uh, it's going to be all she wrote. Someone will be snoring on that canvas, MJ, but... Here, when he's depleting himself to a point where I don't even know if he's going to recover the next day, I think it could be a knockout victory for Marlon Moraes here, MJ. Do you think minus 200 holds value considering everything that we just talked about? Yeah, look, I think it's... It's right where it should be. He should be a solid two-to-one favorite, maybe even higher. And that's not a disrespect to the legend, the, the the future Hall of Famer in Jose Aldo, a guy that we all admire so much, a guy that I used to watch in high school back when he was in the WEC. We remember when he uh, had that seven-second flying knee against Cub Swanson. I know you remember that, MJ. Oh, yeah. When he knee. smashed Mike Brown for the belt. Yep. I mean, Jose Aldo is a legend of the sport. This guy will have his face on the MMA Mount Rushmore one day. But unfortunately, the sport doesn't care who you are, where you're from, what you've accomplished in the past. All that matters is what's going to happen on Saturday night. And I have a really hard time seeing, uh, visualizing Jose Aldo going out there and reclaiming his past success down a weight class, especially at Bantamweight, man. So 
I do think that uh, the line is justified, and I think you could even make a case for Marlon being a bigger favorite. The only thing is, when you see that plus 170 next to a guy of Jose Aldo's caliber, I mean, you think back to some of his old fights. You think, wow, this is a legend in the sport. This is a former world champion. This is a future Hall of Famer. How could I not take the plus 170 on Jose Aldo? But again, you have to factor in that this guy is going to be emaciated. This guy, uh, we're not entirely sure how he's going to respond to these shots. And when you talk about a one-punch knockout artist, when you talk about a one-hitter quitter, you're talking about Marlon Moraes. So it really has all the recipe for Marlon to go in there and finish him. But again, this is why we tune in on Saturday night. We want to know exactly what the hell is going to happen when these two uh, former champions, you know, one being a former champion and World Series of Fighter, the, the other one being the UFC and WEC great. I, I just can't wait to see what happens uh, when the ref says go. My, my question is, what the hell is Aldo's, um, you know, his, his goal and his 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 uh, what he's trying to accomplish at 135 pounds? He knows that he's going to have to make 135 pounds on numerous occasions if he beats Marlon Moraes here. You know, he's probably thinking, oh, I want to get a title shot. I want to be a champ champ, two different divisions and all that. But you got to question that a little bit. Like, really, you, you think you're going to make 135 pounds, you know, older? Um, you already had all these issues cutting down to 145 as well, too. So, you know, I, I don't know really where his head's at. I think he's kind of just going in there getting the paycheck and then seeing what the fuck happens after that. You think he goes up back up to 145 if he loses to Marais here? You know, that's a tough question, but you bring up such great points because what are his goals? And in my mind, I think he kind of viewed it as, okay, well, I already lost to the current champion twice, Max Holloway. I already lost to the number one contender, Alexander Volkanovsky. So another title shot at featherweight seems so far-fetched at this point mm -hmm. for Jose Aldo. And you see the way the sport's evolving. You see how much bigger these guys are getting. The extreme weight cutting is a huge factor these days. If you put Jose Aldo up at 155 pounds, unranked guys are going to go out there and starch him. So it was one of those cases where Jose Aldo has a lot of pride. And I want to refer to a legend of the sport whose name is Mauricio Shogun Hua. Mm -hmm. And what I like about Shogun so much is that when his, you know, title run days were kind of over, he didn't just retire. He didn't just start, you know, going out there, getting knocked out by every single guy he fought. What he did was, and actually now he's on the, the best run of his UFC career, by the way. Which is crazy. He, <laughs> he's undefeated, I believe, in four of his last five, I, I think is, uh, is I what think it is. Correct, but, yeah. but what what I'm trying to get at here is that he doesn't have any delusions of grandeurs anymore. This guy already accomplished what he needs to accomplish. So now he's fighting for the love of the game. And fighting for the love of the game means you don't have to go out there and fight ranked opponents every single time. Just go out. You're still going to get your six-figure paycheck. You know what I mean? So when you look at a guy like Mauricio Shogun, now he's fighting Paul Craig. If you would have told me five years ago that Shogun's fighting a fucking guy named Paul Craig, I'm going I would to a draw. At you. And but going now to a draw. He's going out there and not only fighting a guy, he's going to a draw with a guy that couldn't even hold his jock strap a couple of years ago. So it's one of those things where these guys need to understand that the sport is consistently evolving. And if I was repping Jose Aldo, if I was one of his people, and I watch him go out there and starch Marlon Moraes after all this shit we've been talking about. Right? <laughs> I want to call it shit talk. talk. We're talking facts here. Exactly. Facts and respect. We love the future Hall of Famer and the former champion. But um, it, it, it's one of those things where I would have liked to see Jose Aldo not necessarily take easier fights at featherweight, but easier fights at featherweight. Look, you don't have to yeah. fight 
Alexander Volkanovsky anymore. Nope. You don't have to fight, you know, Zabit Magomed Sharipov or Calvin Cater. How about we put you in there with the Cub Swanson rematch? Give I me a like, zombie rematch. I wouldn't know, even mind the like Korean that, zombie right? rematch there too. Right? So there's so many options, but yeah. when when you talk about a guy like Jose Aldo, so much pride and too tough for his own good, doesn't know when to say when. I mean, the guy was talking retirement not too long ago. Now we're talking extreme weight cutting, yeah. fighting the fucking uh, former number one contender, Marlon Marais. So I respect uh, the kind of pride he brings to the table, but it just doesn't seem like uh, it's going to go too well. But I can't wait to find out uh, firsthand. I don't, I don't know what it is about that Novo and Yao camp, but they seem to have an issue with like sticking to a commitment. Like Jose Aldo was talking about retirement back in the day. Now he's trying to cut down to 135. Uh, Andre Pedernera is talking about not wanting to travel and corner fighters anymore, and this guy's still doing it. I think like two years after he said he wouldn't. But before I let you go, I just want to get your thought on one more thing. I know you haven't really dug into the card as much as I have yet, but... Um, Somebody that you put money on a while ago and cashed pretty decently on Caitlin Vieira. She's making her comeback this uh, this weekend. She is. It's coming close to two years since she's last fought. Do you think she has a decent chance against Aurelia Adana? And you know, just give me your pre-tape thoughts. What do you think about Caitlin? Well, I think Caitlin Vieira has got a decent chance against anyone in the division. Maybe, maybe not uh, Amanda the Lioness, but aside mm-hmm. from that, but I think that could be a competitive fight if she takes it at the right time, right? Because. Sometimes fighters get rushed to title shots. They're they're not able to fully develop and get to you know beat the proper opponents to get there. And I mean, when you're beating uh, ladies such as Ashley Evans Smith and Kazangano, no disrespect. I love watching both of them fight, but you and I both know those are not top five ranked opponents. Okay. So this is this is a good fight for her to come back to because Irena Aldana always presents a tough challenge. Obviously, you know she's Mexican. She fights with a lot of pride. She has a nice volume style. And with Ketlin Vieira, obviously, you got to give her a lot of credit. The punching power she brings to the table, her judo background, and just it just seemed like she was fighting lesser competition on the regionals. And all of a sudden, you're, uh, you're out there beating Sarah McMahon and Kazangano, you know, ladies that once contended for the title. So... Now she's made a name for herself, but we don't know the extent of how she's recovered from her injuries and things among those lines. And one other, you know, I guess, quote-unquote, criticism or whatever, because I bet big on Ketlin Vieira against Kat Zingano. It was, it was a pick em line when I bet it, man. And mm-hmm. I remember that. I actually went to split decision, which, watching it live, I thought it was a clear victory for Ketlin Vieira. But in that third round... There's moments where she does what we like to refer to as the Nova, and I'm glad you. I'm glad we're talking about Jose Aldo too, because <laughs> Jose Aldo also trains at Nova Uniao. When we talk about the Nova, it's when guys like Henan Barrao, Jose Aldo, even Ketlin Vieira, they give everything they got in those first two rounds, and in that third round, you know, they're not going to quit or nothing like that. They're as tough as they come, yep. but they kind of become a little bit of walking punching bags, and you don't want that to happen in a third round against someone such as Irena Aldana, because she's known for that volume style. So I think the first two rounds, if Ketlin Vieira shows up like the version we know, maybe even a better version, because she has had, like you mentioned, over two years to not just be in training camp to get in shape, but to take the time to develop new skills and uh, bring new things to the arsenal, new weapons. So I'm very intrigued to see what the, the late 2019 version of Ketlin Vieira looks like. But at the same time, you cannot sleep on a girl like Irena Aldana because uh, if you underestimate her, she can go out there and squeak out a split decision. So I personally can't wait to dig deep into this fight, uh, watch a watch a little film on it and this and that. But 
Uh, Pre-tape, I do think it's justified with Ketlin being a slight favorite. I'm just very intrigued to see how she does if this fight indeed hits the third round. Half the battle. You can listen to that podcast every week. Uh, it's available everywhere. Uh, Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, all that shit. At Best Fight Picks on Twitter. Uh, I believe you guys are at Best Fight Picks on Instagram as well, if I'm not uh, wrong. Is that correct? Yep. Best Fight Picks official, yes, sir. Perfect. And then www.bestfightpicks.com is their website. Dan Levy, you are the man. I appreciate you helping me. Coming in last minute as well. Let's not let's not talk too much about that, but you're, you're the fucking man for saving the day today. Uh, and uh, good luck this week, and I'll speak to you again soon, my man. Likewise, my friend. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you to all your fans for listening, and uh, enjoy the fights this weekend. Take it easy, brother. And we're back. Obviously, you guys can tell that I edited the shit out of that i just needed to stitch that in timing just didn't work out but i needed to make sure i got my man dan levy into this episode uh super thankful for him again uh and uh you know give us a lot of great insight in the jose aldo and uh marlon marais fight uh obviously if you guys couldn't tell i'm taking marlon marais as well uh minus 200 don't mind that uh but being super strict once again in terms of uh how many bets i make per event uh, and I've already made one. I just need one more underdog, and Jose Aldo will definitely not be that underdog. All right, let's move on to the first of three title fights. Amanda Nunes versus Jermaine Durandamy. So I got Amanda Nunes in that parlay with Peter Yan, five units at minus 147, which I believe is probably one of the best lines that you can get um, for two fighters that have as much skill as they do. You know, not too long ago, you know, maybe as recent as the, the Valentina Shevchenko fight, at least the second one, I was still an Amanda Nunes uh, doubter. You know, what she did out there, you know, it was a very close fight against Shevchenko, but she showed that, you know, the gas tank is not really the biggest issue for her. Uh, Shevchenko's super talented, uh, but, you know, the beating that she put on Raquel Pennington, who didn't really have much to offer in return, the the dismantling of Chris Cyborg, which I will give at least a bit of it to Chris Cyborg's stupidity in terms of trying to throw crazy it like that. Uh, and then the Holly Holm beautiful finish, head kick finish, um, just insane. Uh, she she's shown continuous improvement in all of her fights. Um, you know, it's unfortunate that this fight isn't actually at 145, so she's not able to get a 145 pound defend in. Uh, especially considering that Jermaine Duranami is the first ever 145 UFC pound champion, UFC pound 145 pound UFC champion. She was the first, and then she refused to fight Cyborg. She drops the belt, and then Cyborg eventually picks it up uh, and then loses it to Amanda Nunes. So these girls have been kind of, you know, been wanting to fight each other once again. Uh, and I say once again because they did actually fight way back in 2013 when Amanda Nunes just took this fight to the ground and absolutely elbowed the shit out of Jermaine Duranami, which is, I think, highly possible that a action actually happen once again. Uh, I, you know, a lot of people are thinking that Amanda Nunes is just falling in love with her striking and she's going to go out there and strike with Jermaine Durandamy. I don't think that Amanda Nunes is that dumb. Let's just, let's just fucking be real. She has American top team behind her. Uh, you know, she may want to show off her striking a little bit, but you got to know that your advantage here is with your jujitsu, is with your grappling. So why not just make it as easy as possible, be as dominant as possible, get that first round finish, get Jermaine Durandamy out of their ASAP, and that's by getting this fight to the ground. It would blow my mind if we do not see Amanda Nunes shoot for a takedown within this first round, maybe within the first three minutes. If she's not engaging within three to three and a half minutes in terms of with her grappling, I would probably shoot myself in the face. I'm going to be completely honest. It's it, it. Nothing behooves me more than when fighters refuse to use their advantage in fights. And 
you know, again, we can say what we want about Amanda Nunes falling in love with her striking in her last three fights, and maybe she should have gone in and taken down Holly Holm, but I think that Jermaine Duranami is a better striker than Holly Holm. She hits with a little bit more power. She's a little, just a little bit more precise. She's younger. To, I believe she's young. I don't want to talk out of my ass here and get fact-checked myself. So uh, Jermaine Duranami, 35 years old. Holly Holm, I believe, is older. 38 years old so she, she does have a little bit of a speed and youth advantage here over Holly Holm but uh, we know that Amanda Nunes' strength here is the ground so if she can you know mix up her strikes get Jermaine Duranamy to think that maybe okay this girl probably wants to you know take me down uh, or sorry just wants to stand and strike with me then she will eventually go for that takedown drag this fight to the ground and then implement her jiu-jitsu which I think is miles and miles ahead of what Jermaine Duranamy has to offer in return the, 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 you know, it's what's surprising to me is the fact that this line is closing too. Yes, Jermaine Duranami is a great striker, but let's not forget that Amanda Nunes is a fucking killer too. And, and quit with this recency bias. I'm tired of the recency bias type of shit, which is like, okay, she outstruck her last three opponents, which is why she's going to come into this fight and strike again. No, every fight is a stylistically different matchup. Yes, the Holly Holm fight, she probably should have gone for the takedown a little bit more, but she was having ex- success. She might have some success against Jermaine Durandamy on the feet here too, but I don't want to get it twisted because Jermaine GDR is definitely the better striker. Um, you know, minus 270 for Amanda Nunes. You kidding me, dude? You know, she should be closer to minus 400 if she's she goes out there, fights smart, and takes this fight to the ground. So I think it's people, you know, kind of banking on the fact that they think Amanda Nunes is go, going to go out there and strictly strike with Jermaine. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. She has too good of a legacy at this point in time in her career to fuck around and try to play with fire and, you know, play in the realm of Jermaine Durandamy. Insane. Insane. So I'm taking Jermaine Durandamy here. Uh, sorry. <laughs> I'm just shitting on GDR so hard that I'm picking her to win now. But no, that's not happening. I got Amanda Nunes. I parlayed her personally at minus 264 uh, with Peter Yan's minus 456. And I got minus 147, which I think is great value for two fighters that I believe will be very much dominant in their fights. Um, you know, outside of any craziness, uh, Nunes should win this. I'm trying not to overthink it. And it's it should be as plain as it seems which is Nunes takes this fight to the ground, either gets a submission or elbows Jermaine Duranami's face back to where she elbowed her face last time. So I'm taking Amanda Nunes by, I'm going to say second round TKO. Um, it could be even first round, but I'm going to go with t- second round. Uh, but I like Amanda Nunes here for sure. And I definitely think she's parlay worthy, especially in this minus 200 range. Are you kidding me? You know, even minus 300, up to minus 400, I would even parlay her. Uh, but I'm taking the gift, which is the minus 264, uh, and parlaying that with uh, Peter Yan. All right, let's get into our coming of the event of the night, which is another title fight between Max Holloway versus Alexander Volkanovsky. The odds currently sitting at minus 170 for Max Holloway, plus 150 for Alexander Volkanovsky. Volkanovski has been a bit of a money train since he's come into the UFC for me. Uh, you know, I've I've been following him pretty much from the get-go. Uh, you know, cashed on him over Jeremy Kenny, uh, cashed on him over Daring Nelkins, cashed on him over Chad Mendes, cashed on him over Jose Aldo, and I'm looking to make a small play on him here against Max Holloway. However, I will wait on the line to possibly get a little bit better. I think plus 150 is a little bit, uh, you know, you know, it's a little right, but I think that people are going to be on Max Holloway here. I think they see the size advantage. I think they see, uh, you know, Volk- Volkanovski, you know, uh, you know, being hit by Chad Mendes, not having the best success in that fight before he turned around and got the finish. Uh, 
you know, and and it's the pace and volume of Max Holloway which always drains fighters. But we haven't really seen fighters slow down, uh, or or sorry, we've never seen Alexander really slow down. The guy pushes a pace from bell to bell. He is just constant, relentless pressure, and it's going to be interesting to see how Max Holloway deals with that himself. I don't think he's fought anybody with that type of pressure. You got a Frankie Edgar there, but you're talking about a guy that he was easily able to outstrike and and outwork. And I think that he's going to have a tougher time doing the same thing to Alexander Volkanovsky. In terms of other guys that produce the same type of pressure, Charles Oliveira. But that was such a weird fight where it was like a neck shoulder injury that Charles Oliveira succumbed to. Um, yeah, I'm really digging like the Conor McGregor fight back in 2013. There's nobody that pushes the pace like Alexander Volkanovsky. And, you know, Volkanovsky showed great, great, uh, you know, assets in that fight against Jose Aldo. And sure, you can go and say that Max Holloway finished Jose Aldo twice. You know what I mean? He finished him uh, in the third round twice, pretty much, you know, 40 seconds apart from the last time that he finished him. Um, whereas Alexander Volkanovsky just went, you know, the three full rounds with him. I, I think there's impressive things to take from both. You know, with Max Holloway beating Jose Aldo, you, you're talking about a guy that, that stood with him for fucking three and a half rounds and then eventually finished him. Sorry, two and a half rounds and then eventually finished him near the ending of the third just by, you know, overwhelming him, pressuring him, putting up a pace that Aldo wasn't able to keep up with. With Volkanovski, you're talking about a guy that kept it a little bit closer but was still decisively winning that fight. At no point was Volkanovski ever really, you know, hurt. There was one flying knee that Jose Aldo kind of landed, but it just wasn't enough to really stagger him or anything. But Volkanovski, you know, using his his strength, pushing Aldo against the cage, landing beautiful kicks. Uh, and I think that's one part that's really, um, you know, understated is Volkanovski's kicking game. You know, he pretty much outkicked Jose Aldo there, which is kind of weird. Um if he's able to implement that same type of kicking game against Max Holloway here, I think he could have a lot of success. If he slows down Holloway, um, if he keeps Holloway moving back, I don't know if Holloway's going to be as successful, you know, trying to push that pressure and, and that striking. Uh, I, I just love Volkanovsky, Volkanovsky's tenacity for movement pressure uh, and pace. And I know that's what Max Holloway brings in, in return, and I think he'll have the, the sharper striking, but... What is Holloway going to do when Volkanovski starts pushing him up against the cage, starts making him wear his weight, uh, you know, starts kneeing those legs, uh, starts to slow down Max Holloway? I, I'm intrigued. I'm absolutely intrigued by that. Uh, I, I'll still give the edge to Max Holloway in terms of, you know, he should be the rightful betting favorite. And I feel like we will just get a little bit more value on Alexander Volkanovski than the plus 150 is currently at. Even at Pinnacle, he's sending at plus one forty six. So uh, I I wanna I wanna wait a little bit more to see if there's gonna be more money that comes in on Max Holloway, which I truly think there will be. Uh, I would probably pull the trigger at plus one seventy, plus one seventy five for Alexander Volkanovsky, uh, strictly because I I don't know any other dogs that I'm really leaning on throughout the card uh, to pull off an upset. Um, you know, just quickly scanning the card right now. There's really not, like, Irene Aldana, plus 145, just not a large enough line for me. Um, Jermaine Duranami, you know, you guys already know that I'm on Nunez fully here. Uh, Kobe Covington either. Like, I, I'm not, I just want to stay away from that main event fight. So, I think Volkanovski, in my opinion, is like the livest dog we have here, taking skill sets into consideration and... You know, Max Holloway, yeah, he's coming off a victory over Frankie Edgar. He did start the year off on a loss to Dustin Poirier, who was able to push the pressure a little bit more and, and just be more crisp with the striking. If Volkanovski can, you know, establish those leg kicks, get Max Holloway, you know, hurting a little bit, uh, he can start to put to put together his uh, striking a little bit more. Uh, his his left um, 
kick uh, to the leg, followed by his right hook, is one of the better combinations I've seen out there. He's very crisp with it. He's able to let, he landed pretty much at will on Jose Aldo with that strike as well too, or with that combination. So that was kind of concerning on Aldo's part. Uh, but I love Volkanovski in this spot. Uh, I'm just waiting on better underdog money here. I think that we'll get it because Max Holloway does have the bigger name, and I think that we will see money kind of shift towards Max Holloway uh, over the next couple of days. And again, it's only Monday. So uh, I think we still have a couple of days before the Lions really settle into where they're supposed to be, uh, and I would gladly take a shot on Alexander Volkanovski here. So um, I'm going to take Volkanovski to win. Simple as that. I, I'd probably put 1 or 1.25 units on it. Uh, you know, I'm confident in it, but not super confident. This is fucking Max Holloway. I love Max Holloway. One of my favorite fighters. But uh, Volkanovski's won me a lot of fucking money. And, you know, even if I lose a little bit on him here, he's definitely uh, won me more money than he's ever lost me money. So I wouldn't be super mad. But I definitely like the, the, the threats that he brings against Max Holloway here. And I like, um, you know, the, the style that he'll bring to possibly not break Max Holloway because I don't think that Max Holloway can really be broken. Uh, but I think that he'll be able to establish a pace, pressure, uh, and impose a strength advantage uh, to outpoint Max Holloway in these rounds and come away with a new title and bring a new t- uh, another title down to what's that training camp that they have? Uh, City Kickboxing with Israel Adesanya. And they got a couple other guys, Dan Hooker, who's on the rise too. So that's a big team out there. Um, Eugene Behrman, I believe, is his head coach. You know, doing fantastic work with the guys down there. And this will just be another accolade and another feather in the cap when they get Volkanovski to bring back another title to their uh, their gym. So I got Volkanovski by decision here. Uh, I think it's going to be a really close fight. Going to lean the underdog and go with Volkanovski via decision. Let me just get a sip of water. Nothing like cold water. All right. Main event time. I am super excited for this fight. Um, A lot of people could say what they want, but I am over the moon about the type of styles these guys bring. Kamar Uvman. Kamar Uvman. (laughs) Kamar Usman versus Colby Covington. Kamar Usman looking to defend his title for the first time since he won it against Tyron Woodley back in March. And then Colby Covington's been pretty much fighting the same guys as Kamar Usman on the way to the top here. Uh, But most recently, he beat Robbie Lawler back in August um, and now has finally asserted himself as as the rightful challenger to Kamar Usman and technically should still be the interim champion, but it is what it is. Um, let's start off with Colby Covington. Uh, or you know what? Let's start off with Kamaru Usman just because he started the year off with that victory over um, Tyron Woodley. That was a fight where I had Kamaru Usman as the underdog and I was mystified that the odds were as wide as they are. They kind of present the same issues for each other, uh, but Usman just has that crazy cardio movement and pace, which I believe was going to you know, be a nightmare stylistically for Tyron Woodley. And if they ever do a rematch again, I would max bet the fuck out of Kamaru Usman here. Um, don't know if we'll ever get him at better odds than minus 175, which he's currently sitting at. But Colby Covington also produces very, uh, you know, uh, a lot of threats. They kind of almost have the same game uh, in terms of just trying to drown their opponents and continuously push forward and, and throw strikes and make their opponents work. But I think that Colby Covington has a little bit more uh, in terms of output. 
I don't know how much it's going to have an effect here against Kamaru Usman, who I believe is... It's I'm just... like My brain implodes when I try to think of who the fuck is going to be the one that actually pushes the pace, gets the other guy to concede the back foot, uh, to concede the cage. You know, who's going to get the cage control? Who's going to be, uh, you know... Like, statistically speaking, you're going to say that Kobe Covington is probably going to be throwing more so back up Kamaru Usman. But then you got Kamaru Usman, who probably throws with a lot more heat than Kobe Covington. So maybe the 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 threat of the power gets Kobe Covington a little bit more shy than the the pace and the consistency of Kobe Covington strikes are going to get Kamaru Usman to step back. So I, I don't know where the, how this fight's going to pass out. I'm going to need a lot better of a line than minus 175 to even take the plunge on Kamaru Usman here. But I truly think he wins this fight. Um, you know, Usman's not going to be able to wrestle fuck Kamaru Usman. It's going to be a very tough fight uh, to for either guy to get either guy on the ground. I think if anybody has success getting somebody down, it will probably be Kamaru Usman. But um, Covington has a lot to offer too. Uh, you know, he's got to think that since the Damian Maya fight, he's had to really put a, a put a a fucking microphone in front of his face and start yelling to the crowd to finally get noticed. I, I just recently saw a clip where he said that uh, he was getting threatened to get uh, cut even if he loses one of his next fights or was just on the on, on the last fight of his deal. They weren't going to resign him just because it wasn't that uh, fun of an, uh, a fighter to watch. I believe that was before the debut of my fight. And... You know, now you kind of understand why he's this loudmouth, but he finally has his tire shot. He finally has his uh, moment to, to, to push forward. And it's going to be tough to for me to see how he concedes the back foot, just considering everything, you know, the route that he's taken to get the stardom that he currently has. It's just tough for me to see him uh, impose his will on Kamaru Usman, who's just been such a imposer himself. Like, he's just been the guy always moving forward and landing big strikes. He has a, a great... Uh, power right hand uh which he can launch right into his takedowns um i'd say colby Covington's performances were a little bit more impressive than kamaru usman but i think that when once you match these guys up against each other usman's gonna have the advantage um i completely understand an underdog shot on colby Covington here for most people uh you know if he's able to just completely you know just keep moving keep moving change levels land uh pitter patter shots keep you know racking up the statistically his strikes thrown uh but i i just don't know man it's i've done all the tape you could possibly do on this card or, or at least on this fight and i'm still stumped I, I don't know which way to go i believe it should be lined a little bit closer so if you want to strictly go off of that value wise you're probably going to want to bet uh colby covington here so if the line grows a little bit more for kamaru usman like the minus 200, if he gets to minus 200, meaning Kobe Covington will be around the plus 180-ish range. I may even make a small play on Kobe Covington. I'm not 100% sure. I, I need like a minus 140, minus 130 for Kamaru Usman to justify a bet on him. But I'm just, I'm, I'm in that super strict mode where I'm just betting my lock of the night play and my dog of the night play. And both of those spots are pretty much taken up. Uh, but I love, uh, I love Kamaru Usman to win this fight. And it's hard for me to bet against guys that I think are going to win. Apologies for the for the yawn. Been a long day, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I love Kamar Usman here. Uh, just need a better line, so I am picking him to win. Very very tough to call in terms of just confidently. I can't say 100 percent that I'm on Kamar Usman. I know a lot of other people can say that. Uh, I'm just not. It's too close of a fight, and stylistically, they just bring such an entertaining, uh, uh, you know, threat to this fight to both of themselves. Uh, we may not see a finish, but we're going to see a lot of grappling. We're going to see a lot of 
uh, you know, jockeying for that lead foot, jockeying to to get the other guy on their back foot. Um, but but I truly think that Kamaru Usman is the one that comes out. And one thing I want to say as well, uh, I, I it's kind of like the fighter of the year thing. When Izzy won, when Israel Adesanya won his uh, fight against Robert Whitaker, a lot of people were like, "Rob uh, Israel Adesanya, fighter of the year, no problem." And then when Jorge Masvidal beat Nate Diaz, they're like, "Jorge Masvidal, fighter of the year, no doubt." I think the same thing happened here too. When Kamaru Usman beat Tyron Woodley, they're like, all right, this guy is the baddest welterweight. Nobody's going to beat him. And then Kobe Covington goes out there and beats Rafael Dos Anjos and Robbie Lawler. And people are like, all right, Kobe Covington is the real welterweight champ now. He should be the one that, you know, once he fights Kamaru, he's going to dust him. I don't believe in that. You know, you, you got to remember, Kamaru Usman hasn't fought since March, but the guy is still a motherfucker. He is still one of the top guys out there. And even though he hasn't been as active this year as Kobe Covington, uh, he still presents a lot of issues, and I don't know if Kobe Covington is going to be able to overcome those issues. You know, the only way I see Kobe really winning this fight for sure is if he just sticks with the pitter patter and doesn't engage in the wrestling as much. And I think that's going to be hard for him to do against a guy in Kamar Usman, who I believe is the better striker, or at least power powerfully. He has more power than him. Powerfully, what the fuck am I on? Uh, Power-wise, he has more uh, more to to offer than Kobe Covington, uh, and then he can I believe he can match his pace, his pressure, and his cardio. So, yeah, I got Kamaru Usman by decision. Uh, right now, with no bet, but if we get Kobe Covington up into the plus two hundred ish range, I'd probably poke him there. Uh, I would need Kamaru Usman closer to the minus one thirty ish range to minus one twenty five to even think about betting him. Uh, otherwise, I'm just passing on this fight. Uh, and but still going with Kamaru Usman to win. Bang! That's UFC 245. So as you guys already know, my lock of the night play is Amanda Nunes and Peter Yan both parlayed at five units for minus 147. Super excited for that. Uh, you know, not overthinking that shit. I'm just I'm all in on that fight just because I believe or on that bet because I think both fighters are going to go out there and do what they do. Uh, and then lock of, or dog of the night is possibly Alexander Volkanovski. Just waiting to see how that line plays out through this week. Whew. Man, that felt like a crazy episode. Uh, all right, to cap off the episode, lo- the Lock of the Night Challenge uh, 2020 kicks off January 18th, but I'm going to be doing an early bird sign-up uh, draw pretty much. If you guys already saw, I'm, I have two MMA mugs that I'm going to be giving away as well as a MMA Lock of the Night shirt. Unfortunately, it only comes in a large size, so hopefully you guys are cool with that. But, uh, you know, if you guys sign up for that, I'm going to put... Uh, sign up for the Lock of the Night Challenge. is a $25 game and a $100 game. If you guys sign in b- before December 21st, I'll be doing a draw on December 22nd uh, to give away those three things to three different people, uh, all who signed up before that. I've already gotten about four or five signups in this time, uh, so let's get this train going a little bit more. I know a lot of people were interested earlier in the year, when I, or sorry, earlier, uh, a couple months ago, when I first started this up, uh, and I'll be paying out to the winners next week after South Korea uh, so the money's real, the money's all there. Just get into this game. It's a fun game. I love keeping track of it. I love updating it for you guys, and I love following along and seeing how other people play this lock of the night challenge. You know, are they going to go the conservative route with like the one pick a, a week, or are they going to keep fucking throwing hail marys at the wall and seeing what the fuck happens? Uh, very very fun. So make sure you guys hit me up, DM me at MMALOTN on Twitter if you guys want to sign up for that. Um, comment below, subscribe, like, talk shit shit on me for having a crappy couple events <laughs> i don't give a fuck uh, i appreciate you guys checking out the episode as always 
Uh, and big shout out to my man Dan Levy as always uh, for coming out to the show and giving us some insight into Jose Aldo against Marlon Moraes. Again, you guys can follow him at Best Fight Picks on Twitter. His website's www.bestfightpicks.com. Uh, and make sure you listen to his podcast, which again, if you guys are listening to my podcast, more than likely you guys are listening to his already, which is Half the Battle, which is available everywhere, anywhere that podcasting is available, also on YouTube. All right, I think that's it. I think this is a successful show back at Big Rob's place. I can't wait to be back here uh, for the next one. And uh, good luck this weekend, and I will see you guys next week. Peace.